1: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion
0: Bartoli.
2: I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast.
1: Hello, folks, and welcome to our very first 2021 French Open daily tennis podcast. It's our preview podcast. We'll be looking at both draws, which have been just about conducted successfully. Maybe I'll take the word successfully. We can just edit out successfully, Matt, shall we?
2: (laughs) Well, listeners of this podcast will know that nothing gets me in a tears like a bad draw. Well, apart from UTS. Well, apart from UTS, but... I don't understand how tennis can have draw ceremonies literally every week of the year and still do them so badly, so often. This one was, I think, only available to people on site, which is a small number. So it appeared in sort of dribs and drabs online. And I was sort of squinting at a picture that a journalist had taken of a draw to try and read the names. Oh, it, was, it, was, it was a shambles. Anyway, (laughs) we
1: we will do our best to translate that shambles into something uh, that makes a modicum of sense for you in today's preview podcast. We've also had most notable players come in for pre-tournament press. At the time that we record on Saturday afternoon, there are a few missing from that list. Novak Djokovic, of course, is still competing in Belgrade 2. In fact, I think he's on court as we speak. Um, we haven't had Roger Federer in press. We haven't had Serena Williams. We haven't had Bianca Andreescu. Um, but but we have had pretty much everybody else. So we'll be bringing you um, the notable stuff from those preview press conferences. We'll, of course, be covering the big news of the week, the statement from Naomi Osaka announcing that she will not be doing any post-match press at the French Open. That sort of sent waves around kind of the whole sporting world. This week, and we'll absolutely be dealing with that and the reaction to it. And what else will we be doing, David?
3: Probably talking about who we think is going to win and getting it wrong. <laughs> I would have thought.
1: <laughs> I haven't decided yet. I mean, obviously Nadal, um, but uh, <laughs> apart from that, I haven't decided yet. I yeah. had some somebody this week who shan't be named, but a tennis. I mean, they they said it on air, so perhaps I should should name them, but I'm going to mock them, so I won't name them, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, said on air this week that they thought Tsitsipas was the favourite for the French Open ahead of 13-time champion Nadal. I mean, look, Tsitsipas might win the French Open. I certainly think he's got a chance, but how anybody can not pick 13-time champion Nadal as, as the favourite
3: yeah, is can, beyond you can... me. I think you can, those are two separate things, aren't they? You can pick pass for the title yourself if you want to kind of go for it and mm-hmm. you think that this is the time. But objectively, if you line them up, I mean, it's not a conversation.
1: No, it's not a conversation, so let's not have it. Or shall I instead tell you about our French Open mascot or rather mascots, plural, Um and that is, um, unfortunately, for sad reasons that we've got a couple of mascots for this year's French Open. It's because Priyanka, um, who is our mascot owner for Roland Garros, she lives in Brooklyn, New York. Um, we were supposed to be sponsored by Lucci, um, who sadly died in January of this year. She was a corgi um, and she loved playing with tennis balls. But I'm very sorry to say that Lucci's no longer with us. Um, so, Lucci is sponsoring the tennis podcast in spirit, but so is Priyanka's new dog, Phoebe. She's a three-month-old tricolour corgi, ball of fluff, and this is her first ever Grand Slam. She wasn't even alive for the Australian Open. So, welcome, Phoebe, to the tennis podcast fold.
3: Yeah. Let's make it a good one. Oh.
1: I'm a big fan of a Corgi. Um they're having a real uh, renaissance courtesy of the Crown as I understand it. Uh so we'll try and establish from Priyanka whether Phoebe is a is a crown inspired dog. And I'm sure you're all on the edge of your seats about that. <laughs> so, the Roland Garros draw, the single biggest headline from the whole thing other than that it was that it was a shambles exclamation mark which is uh, what's written in Matt's Agenda. (laughs) (laughs) We've covered that. (laughs) The single biggest headline is that for the first time ever, Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic are in the same half, all three of them, of a grand slam draw. In the words of Stefanos Tsitsipas, finally, for once. (laughs)
3: Should uh, should the French Open have a seedings waiting for Nadal so that he's not seeded 3 given that he's you know won it 13 times what do you think
1: I think that it's not it, it's it's about whether or not you believe in seedings waitings I think if you believe in them then all slams should probably have them and deploy them um but if you don't believe in them, then none of them should. If you believe that Wimbledon is, is right to have it, then I think you should probably apply that to the French Open as well. Apparently,
3: it doesn't have it either this year. Uh, Wimbledon oh. is also just going to go by the rankings. What well, what do you think? Do you think oh. that it should have a weighting, either of you?
2: I think probably yes, but I agree with Catherine. If you're going to do it somewhere, you should do it everywhere. I think.
3: Well, it's quite it more like- particular, though, in at Wimbledon and running Garros, compared to, say, the hard tournament. But I think everything's
2: particular. Say that to Naomi
1: Osaka.
3: Yeah, th- th- there's, enough, Djokovic. there's
1: mm. enough
2: variety in tennis that every surface impacts a certain number of players about how they perform. I quite like the idea of rankings get you into an event and seedings is a little bit different. Seedings determines where you are in the draw. But mm. they've never had one, have they, at the French Open? And it's no, never been, no, not that I'm it's never aware been of. a topic before because Nadal's often been one or two. And if he's not been one or two, then it's been on one of his off years anyway. And he's not felt like the huge force that he is in this draw.
1: I mean, obviously a better alternative to all of those proposals is to do away <laughs> with seedings altogether and let chaos reign.
3: <laughs> which feels like we're on a stepping stone towards that, which mm. I love. I mean, look, I, I felt thrilled when I saw that they're all in the same half because of the chaotic nature of it I love the fact that things are just not going to be as they normally are and yeah let's see I mean I think we also should say that yes Roger Federer is there in name but he's hardly relevant is he
1: as a title contender no, I
3: mean he sh- he can't be mentioned in the same breath as those other two just at the moment. He's in the draw. Well, he,
1: well, he can if you don't want to ruin an excellent statistic, David.
3: <laughs> I like the statistic, but I'm just also looking beneath the statistic just to be okay, honest. Okay, well,
1: looking at it, looking at his draw, David, seeing as you've you've led us down this path, how far is he going to get?
3: Oh, that's he's a good got Denis
1: Istomin first round. Yeah. Second round would be either Marin Cilic or a. Rinderknech, I've got nothing on Rinderknech. He, mm. he
2: he did well in Lyon last week. He beat Oh uh, Sinner. Oh, o- o- albeit, he's a I French think, wild card. Mm, albeit I think Sinner was was struggling with what looked like hay fever of some sort in that match. But he's he's quite a good player, I think, and is, is on the rise. But I would probably still expect Federer to beat him.
1: Uh, what does the A stand for, Matt?
2: Uh, Arthur.
1: Oh. Yeah. Okay, so that would be a potential second round, and then third round we're looking at Jao Souza, Taylor Fritz, Matthias Borg, or Dominic Kupfer. Mm. And beyond that, if if I dare go that far, it would be Berrettini, uh, possibly Felix Auger-Aliassime. Those are the the names in that section. How far is Roger Federer going?
3: Well, I, I've got it. I've got him going out probably in the fourth round uh, to Berrettini. I would say Berrettini's going to come through that section personally um who who knows you know I mean it's possible that Fritz might take him out i I don't know it's possible that Chilich might take him out. It's possibly he might go go through, but I j- I don't see Federer getting to the quarters personally
1: you, you know the twitter account to follow if you if you'd like to find out <laughs> whether Marin Chilich does take Roger Federer out <laughs>
3: <laughs> did he win today? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, I see, obviously, Nadal and Djokovic contenders. I see Federer as a potential disruptor. I think probably the best he could hope for is getting to that quarterfinal with Novak Djokovic. And if he gets there, he's probably playing really well and he could have a swing. And who knows what he could do? I certainly wouldn't be predicting him to beat Djokovic over five sets on clay this year. Um but I think what I'm most interested in with them all landing in the same half is what it does to the psychology of the players in the other half. And in that other half our team and Sitsipass, who you would consider the sort of next on the list of contenders, but obviously they're in completely different positions as well. Um confidence-wise, form-wise. And I think it's particularly fascinating for Sitsipass, this draw, because to me, this draw looks set up for him. He's, mm. he's got... I think he's expected to reach the final from that bottom half, but that's Agreed. an interesting pressure in itself mm-hmm. because he's never reached the grand slam final. Not many players... I was thinking about this. Not many players reach their first grand slam final when they're expected to. Uh, most people have some sort of breakthrough to get through to a grand slam final. Zitzepas is dealing with a pressure of expectation now. And we saw in Miami when... Nadal wasn't in the draw, Medvedev had gone out, Djokovic wasn't in the draw. Tsitsipas suddenly was the favourite and he lost a big, big lead against Herkacz. Now, I think he's playing better than he was in Miami and I think clay really suits him. But I'm fascinated by how how he reacts to that different pressure that he's got in, in his draw because effectively he can ignore Nadal, Djokovic until right to the end. They're not factors for him. They don't stop him reaching the final, and that's it's just not something he's had before.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a fascinating psychology because you've got the number two seed who, if if it were a seeding formula, might not even be a seed in real terms. Daniil Medvedev not only can he barely win a match on clay. Is telling us all about how much he hates the stuff and seems to have an existential crisis every time he sees something orange. <laughs> He's also drawn Alexander Bublik in the first <laughs> round, which is a match. Frankly, I'd put Bublik is the favourite for. Uh, it's so a, the, it's, it, the it's the an most, extraordinarily one-sided draw. It's also in, a magnificent. Um,
3: it's also a magnificent troll by the world, isn't it? That that. Not only is Nadal in the same half of the draw as Djokovic, he's been put there by (laughs) Daniel Medvedev, which (laughs) the guy's won 13 Roland Garros titles, shunted out into the other half of the draw by a guy who publicly is on record as hating clay. Has he won 13 matches on clay in his
2: career?
1: Oh, no way. I don't think he's won anything even close to that. Um, what, those, he was talking Carlo. up a big game in press yesterday, though, wasn't he? Was he being sarcastic, though? Oh, I've only so, seen I've only seen the quotes in print.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I wasn't sure what to make of that. Uh, he said, I'm playing amazing on clay. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's got to be sarcastic, hasn't it? Came across as sarcastic when he was going into lots of detail about the conditions and how it feels like a hard court this year in Roland Garros and he's confident he'll be able to play his right. natural game i just don't know what to believe
1: the mind games uh, definitely don't believe that <laughs> no you're probably right didn't didn't he also um, say
3: this this could yep. be the hardest one for nadal to win i mean <laughs>
2: <laughs> but
1: the thing on. is he he's
2: been very open about saying he's playing rubbish in the past so why would he now suddenly say he's playing because great because his Total mind games mind have games? really
1: been backfiring on him recently mm. so maybe he's trying a a different tack with them
3: I think he's entertained. Mm. I think he finds it entertaining to, to feed us lines and see if we can figure out whether he's being serious or not. And
1: <laughs> oh, I'm I'm absolutely here for it. In Medvedev on clay, appointment viewing, I mean, no matter who he'd drawn in the first round, I would have been making a note of exactly when and where he's playing and making sure I was tuned in. But Medvedev against Bublik is a dream come true.
3: His entire... Win-loss record on clay in his career. He has won 11 and lost 20.
1: World number two, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Your second Roland Garros seed. So
3: Nadal
2: has has more Roland Garros titles than Medvedev has match wins on clay. I have to say,
1: 11 (laughs) is actually more than I thought it was. Mm -hmm.
2: I think they were in a very... Small window where he did well in Monte Carlo and Barcelona a couple of years ago.
1: Right. Okay. A, a distant memory. Mm. Um, so Nadal opens against Alexei Popperin, um, who I know has made big strides this year. Played Rough that really inter- for him. entertaining match against Medvedev in Miami, didn't he? He um, he put up a good fight against somebody in Madrid, didn't he? We played, played great-
2: Nadal in Madrid.
1: Ah, oh, and didn't he? Didn't he, he, he? came out blasting. He, yeah. but, but it didn't. Yes, last he long. came. He did. He tried to do a sodling. <laughs> yes, that's yes. what he tried to do, isn't it? You've been trying to said, do that for eleven years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that, come on. That's that's a rough draw. Including
3: soddling the year after. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. um, Federer starts against Istomin. As I said, Djokovic has tennis sanguine. Um, for his opener tough for Djokovic I mean you'd expect I haven't checked the score but Djokovic was playing somebody I'd never heard of in Belgrade today if he's in the final I should name check him stand by for news of the bloke I've never heard of <laughs> uh, Novak Djokovic is currently beating Alex Malkan, uh a qualifier 6-4 he's actually on serve in the second so Djokovic six four four three up on serve. So any Alex Molcan fans that want to fill us in a bit about him. Uh so yeah Novak Djokovic presumably will be arriving in Paris on the opening day of the tournament which is which is not ideal and had had this tournament he's currently in the final of not been in Belgrade and one he was heavily involved with there is just no way he'd be playing there um, in my opinion so it's yeah it, it it's not ideal I think he'll be fine. I kind of
3: think he he might like it mentally at least, even if it's not that good preparation in terms of not getting used to the clay as long. I think he probably backs himself to be talented enough and experienced enough to just find his feet quite quickly on the surface and in the surroundings. And I think he he's getting loved in Belgrade right now. Mm. He's he's just going to go off on a crest of a wave, um, sent off from his home tournament. And I think it could do him a lot of good when he
1: arrives. Yeah, that, 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 you make a you make a very good case, David. Good uh, the, pro, the projected round of sixteen matches, or certainly possible round of sixteen matches, it would be Djokovic against Goffin, Berrettini, Federer, as you said, David. Nadal against Morfes or Sinner. Uh, Schwarzen or Karatsev against Rublev. Uh, Zverev against Roberto Bautista Gutt. Casper uh, Ruud against Dominic Team. A lot of people favouring Ruud to be the man to come through from that quarter. And yeah, is that even that controversial? I, I don't know. Maybe Ruud is the favourite to come through from that quarter. And then sit to pass uh, Pablo Krenny Buster and Dimitrov Medvedev. That made me laugh.
3: I would, what, Dimitrov what, what you...
1: <laughs> <laughs> Dimitrov public edit edit
3: whichever one in you like Matt (laughs) what what do you think about the rude team thing because I I think I've several times been persuaded by form and then got into a grand slam and it feels different because they've got best of five sets they've got every other day he's been there and done it I mean rude did push him I remember back in October they played in Roland Garros and I think that's four sets something like that and it was it was hard it was hard work for for team and he's clearly playing less well than he was then, but he's not as tired as he was then. Um, I could see him playing his way into form, but I don't know. I really feel I'd I'd call that a proper fifty-fifty myself. What do you think? I
2: think he'd have to gain a lot of form because Rude is really, really good now on clay, especially. And you know, there's only three matches for team to play to get to that Rude match. That is that's a big hurdle relatively early on, I still think, in the tournament. So I I think I'll be favouring Rude in that section of the draw over team. I think Team's highest level is higher than Rude's on Clay, still, on on all surfaces, frankly. But I'm not not convinced he can find it that quickly. I think I think he would have wanted Monfils or Goffan, you know, some someone else other than Rude in round four, because I think that's very difficult.
1: Mm, I agree. I, without question, team team's highest level is higher than rude. Um, but rude will, will make him produce it mm. to beat him. And I, I, yes, I, I absolutely see that he could play himself in, into form. But as you say, Matt, it's a long, it's, it's a long way to, to play. He's so far back. Um, that might be a bit soon. And he's going to be susceptible early on, I think. I really think he's in a... I don't understand it, and I don't understand why quite, but I definitely think he's in a very strange place at the moment, Dominic Thiem. Um The pick of the round one matches in the men's side of the draw, you've got Musetti against Goffin, Sinner versus uh, pierre huguer Albert-Ramos-Vignolas oh, wow. against Guillermo Fees, Casper-Reed against Benoit Paire, and then, I mean, really, there's there's only one here, isn't there? Clear your diaries for Bublik <laughs> against Medvedev.
3: Uh, the, the, those are all crackers. I mean, you're right. Bublik-Medvedev is the sort of match that I just think everybody I know will be watching that. Anybody who's remotely interested in tennis will figure out a way to watch it. Um, but seeing Pear in the, the that line-up there reminds me of uh, an article I read today from Barney Roney in The the Guardian, where he described Pear as being trapped inside tennis <laughs> which I thought was a fantastic image he can't get out and he doesn't want to get out he's sort of in this really strange situation and uh, and he just looks thoroughly miserable about it all
1: I wonder um, how he'll be received by the french crowd they don't yeah. mind turning on their own do they
3: no that's i don't i, I can't really remember Benoit Paire at the French Open before. But crikey, if he he were to go the route that he's gone for several months and basically tank, I don't think Mm. they'd be having that. Absolutely no no way. No, agreed. I want to see Sinner against Herbert, by the way, Mm. and and Maciti against Goffin. God, those a caucus.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The women's draw, a a far more even affair um, for, for my money. Um, any particular headlines? I mean, the the the, the possible round of sixteen matchups. You got Barty against Brady, uh, Pliskova or Mukova against Svitolina, Kenin uh, versus either Sakari or or Mertens possibly Muguruza. Who knows where she's at fitness wise against Sviontek. And then the bottom half. It would be Serena Kvitova, Azarenka, Sabalenka, and Rescue Burton's. And then look, we have got Osaka slash Bedosa because who on earth knows if Osaka would would make round of sixteen um obviously a lot more in Osaka to come, don't worry. Um I'd say there's more there's more eye catching round one matchups in the women's some some really um mouth watering clashes. Putin Savre against Jabur, Savastava Brady, Plishka Vekic, Sabalenka Konyu uh, Suarez Navarro against Stevens. How wonderful to see Carla Suarez Navarro's name in the draw. Playing, of course, what will be her final French Open. Kennan against Ostapenko. Yes, please. Agrotastic. Muguruza against Kostiuk, <laughs> who, who was sold to me as a dud by a certain Matt Roberts at the start of the year. I want to start seeing some. Some fruit on that bear tree, Matt. What have you
3: predicted her to do based on what Matt told you, Catherine? Well,
1: right after he he told me she was going, I think I predicted her to do something in Australia. So I'm not falling yeah. into that trap again. Rings um, a bell, as did the standings. Azarenka against Kuznetsova, yes, please. Anisimova against Kudamatova. Wow, Podoroska, that's a heck of a yeah, Podoroska last year's semi finalist against Benčić. Um, and Kneppi against Vondrosheva. So I think kind of first round matchup size, I mean, obvi- obviously Medvedev-Bublik. Have I mentioned that enough? Medvedev-Bublik, probably my <laughs> pick of all of them. But for, for quantity of eye-catching first rounders, I, I definitely think the women have it. Um, yeah. Yeah, what do we think of the women's draw more more generally and how it's fallen? I
2: think I agree that it's definitely more open and the men's draw more balanced. But I do think it it does a similar thing to the men's draw in that it places Barty and Sviontek in the top half. Now, in in my mind, they're the two favourites. They're the two most recent champions. They've both shown fantastic form this clay court season. And then in the bottom half, what makes it different to the men's draw is you've got so many more big names in the bottom half of the women's draw. But there are so many unknowns against all of them. You've got Asaka in there, Andrescu, Serena, Kvitova. I just, I do not know how any of those players are going to perform. They could go out in round one. They could get to the final. That is how I feel about pretty much all of them. And well, it's I th- fascinating. I think
3: you've summed it up. I think you've summed it mm. up, Matt. Because when I, I did the predictions for our predictions competition that we have with the with the people who back us at that level at the start of the year. I, I did, I, I did them just before we came on air for this. And with Sabalenka, she's playing in the first round and Anna Konyu, who's come through qualifying and is an absolutely massive hitter in her own right. And I sat there looking at this, the name of Sabalenka, and I, I was thinking, I think she could go out in the first round. And then I thought, no, I think she's going to get through to get to the quarterfinals. And by the end of it, I'd got her in the final. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm genuinely looking what at what journey
2: you went on, thinking
3: that she she is really vulnerable in the first round, and yet I've still ended up putting her through to the final. Yeah,
1: mm. can't wait to do my predictions. That sounds like an absolute nightmare.
3: <laughs> By the way, um, um, j- just on um, just on Osaka, you know, when you've done the the round of sixteen lineup there, Matt, the fact that you've got Osaka slash Badosa, does that tell the story, not about her as a tennis player but what's going on at the moment or is it about Badosa being good why is Badosa an option there for a round of 16 in that section
2: I I think it's a combination of everything you've just said everything we're going to come on to talking about for Osaka the fact that she's never reached the round of 16 at the French Open she's one and two on clay this season and Badosa is a very accomplished clay court player I think all of those things make me doubt whether Osaka will reach that last sixteen.
1: Well, look, we've hinted at it there. We'll, we'll come on to Osaka in, in just a moment, but she is playing first up on the Philippe Chatrier court on Sunday. She's opening up the French Open against Patricia Maria Teague, who of Romania, who I think won her won her first title earlier on this year. I mean. Phew. Who, who knows? I mean, that's got, you know, those opening matches um, early on in the day. You know, sometimes I don't think it's going to be a, you know, super hot day, sort of slight, something sort of swirly in the air. Sometimes they do have an upset feel about them. Um, and there's going to be, for all sorts of reasons, a lot of eyes on that match. And that's an interesting schedule for me. Naomi Osaka opening things up uh, on Chatre. Then it's team against Ha. Then it's Azarenka against Kuznetsova, and then Sitzepas against Shardy. Uh, Suzanne Longland sees Fanini against Barre, Greet Minin against Petra Sabalenka against Konyu, and Zverev and Otter, Oscar Otter, great name. On the Simon Mathieu court, we've got uh, Clara Burrell against Danka Kovinic. Uh, Fucevic against Simon, Mute against Gerard. And Dora against Madison Keys. I think I mean the Simone Mathieu lineup's a bit weaker, but in terms of the two main courts, I think that's about as strong a lineup as they've ever put on a Sunday. So it kind of backs up your theory, Matt, that they are strengthening the Sunday schedule kind of year on year. They're they're building it as a as a feature of the tournament, which I'm pleased to see. My my feeling is if you're gonna do it, build it up and and do it really well.
3: Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right.
1: A really interesting schedule for my money to see Nomeo Sarka play at 11am tomorrow against Patricia Maria Teague. And there are going to be so many eyes on that match because I'm sure most of you are already aware Naomi Osaka caused quite the stir in the tennis and sporting world um, a couple of days ago by posting the following on her social media, written in notes, of course. That's That's how things are done. She said, hey, everyone, hope you're all doing well. I'm writing this to say I'm not going to do any press during Roland Garros. I've often felt that people have no regard for athletes' mental health. And this rings very true whenever I see a press conference or partake in one. We're often sat there and asked questions that have been asked multiple times before or asked questions that bring doubt into our minds. And I'm just not going to subject myself to people that doubt me. I've watched many clips of athletes breaking down after a loss in the press room and I know you have as well. I believe that whole situation is kicking a person while they're down and I don't understand the reasoning behind it. Me not doing press is nothing personal to the tournament and a couple journalists have interviewed me since I was young so I have a friendly relationship with most of them. However, if the organisations think that they can just keep saying do press or you're going to be fined, and continue to ignore the mental health of the athletes that are the centrepiece of their cooperation, then I just got a laugh. Anyways, I hope the considerable amount that I get fined for this will go towards a mental health charity. XOXO and a couple of emojis. Um, She followed this up the next day uh, with an email she had written to um, the president of the FFT, and the tournament director, Guy Forget, she said, Dear Guy and Gilles, I hope you're both doing well. Thank you for your efforts in working so hard to put on the French Open this year. In reference to my staff stance on press during Roland Garros, I wanted to explain the following. This is 100% nothing against the French Open or even the press members themselves. This stance is against the system requiring athletes to be forced to do press on occasions when they are suffering from mental health. I believe it is archaic and in need of reform. After this tournament, I want to work with the Tours and the governing bodies to figure out how we best compromise to change the system. Unfortunately for Olingaris, this has happened during your tournament, which is just pure coincidence and nothing personal. I have nothing but respect for your event. I'm going to focus on tennis now, but should you have any further questions, please direct all communication to Stuart. cc would here. Thanks, Naomi. And that's her her agent. Um, Just finally on the statements front, sorry, this is a lot of me reading a lot of words, but I think it's important. The WTA uh, released the following statement in response to the situation. Mental health is of the utmost importance to the WTA and, for that matter, every individual person. We have a team of professionals and a support system in place that look after our athletes' mental and emotional health and well-being. The WTA welcomes a dialogue with Naomi and all players to discuss possible approaches that can help an athlete as they manage any concerns related to mental health while also allowing us to deliver deliver upon our responsibilities to the fans and public. Professional athletes have a responsibility to their sport and their fans to speak to the media surrounding their competition, allowing them the opportunity to share their perspective and to tell their story. very good statement, in my opinion. Um, Obviously, it's something that all the players, all the significant players, were asked about in their pre-tournament press conferences yesterday. We'll we'll come on to those responses in due course. But I'm I'm interested, Matt and David, in what your initial reactions were upon reading that statement from Naomi Osaka, as we all did on on Wednesday evening.
3: Well, it certainly blindsided me. I think all of us. Matt and I exchanged messages immediately upon seeing what she'd written and there is a moment I think where you're trying to process what you've read and because I think Matt pointed out at the time it's the first time he hasn't just straightforwardly nodded along whilst reading something she said or written and I think that's what we've got used to with Naomi Osaka is that she kind of tends to sum up how we feel about things a lot of the time um, I think she is very observant and and interesting and and I like to to hear what she 's got to say about things um reading that my first reaction now i am a journalist was one of disappointment i didn't like it um i think it's um ill judged in 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 terms of the way it's going at it the way it 's approaching it, and at the same time i I sympathize with her as an individual um, because I think she's struggling a bit, judging by that. And uh, I I would sympathize with anybody who's struggling with mental health for whatever reason. Um, I think people sometimes try to pigeonhole what mental health is and what causes mental health issues. And it's not the same for everybody. So if she's struggling with the thought and the process of answering questions after a, after a match then i do sympathize it's not easy i spent a lot of years working first of all in the system of approaching tennis players immediately after heartbreaking defeats and having to ask them and persuade them to come to press conferences because that's part of the job and it's a horrible job that that i used to have to do that element of it and i and you would often come up to players in tears after a defeat and then they've got to talk it over and I can imagine that being very difficult I haven't had to do it Um, however that's part of the job now that doesn't mean it can't be changed to some degree um, in the future I think what she's done is given an opportunity for us to discuss and reflect a little bit to self-reflect and I think when I'm asking a question in a press conference, I do try to phrase it a certain way that will get a, both th- put the question across that I need it to to be asked, but also to do it sensitively and to understand that it's a difficult situation for the person I'm asking, or it might be. Um, but just because she is struggling with it doesn't mean that you just change the whole system and I've yet to see anybody come up with a really better system and players being available in a sport. This is not entertainment, it's not theatre, it's not film, it's not music. This is is real. There's a difference between an exhibition match and sport. The reason it matters is because it's set up to matter and players need to be able to be questioned about what's just gone on so that everybody watching has some insight. That's what we as journalists are there for.
1: Matt?
2: Yeah, I mean, you asked for my initial reaction and my first thought was, oh, what a shame. Naomi Osaka has been a shining light in press conferences that I've been to. She stood out as a player who is interesting and funny and insightful. And I think we've commented on that in the past. The fact that we're not going to get her views during Roland Garros at a time where she's a particularly interesting player, I think, is a big loss to the tournament, frankly. That was, that was one of my first reactions. Um, like David, I was, caught, I was caught out by this. I was surprised by this. Uh, I've, I've been in some Naomi Osaka press conferences and, you know, I always felt like the vibes were pretty good in a lot of them, certainly recently. But I, equally, I understand I'm I'm seeing that from my my perspective rather than hers. And then, then I really started to sort of drill down into trying to figure out what Osaka's motives are here. And I actually think that the statement she put out on her own social media is a little bit different to the clarifying addendum that she sent to FFT president and the tournament director. So I actually have different reactions to both of those. I think in the in the letter she wrote to the tournament director and president, she's talking about something more systemic. And that comes across as the latest example of asaka being someone who wants to challenge the status quo and change the sport. And those are qualities I really admire. And most of the time, I really admire her vision for the sport and also the way she goes about it. And I don't think it's a bad thing, as David said, that that conversation has been started by Osaka. Um, Maybe questions do need to be asked about whether press conferences should be mandatory after a loss. Look, I'm not saying they shouldn't be. I just think it's probably a good thing that that conversation is started. Um, Maybe we do need to think about Who gets accredited? Maybe we need to think about getting more representation and diversity in those media rooms. We certainly need to think about that. So I think from that point of view, I really agreed with Osaka's point that perhaps something could change with the way press conferences operate. I'm not sure what the change is. I'm not sure how it looks, but I think it's a good thing that a dialogue has probably been started. You know, press conferences are been around for years for decades and awareness of mental health is a much newer phenomenon and it's it's possible that the systems in place are a little bit at odds with each other and things could be done better and I um, I welcome that from Osaka but what I think the statement that she put out is suggesting is that this is more of a Osaka problem than a press problem necessarily it, it it felt to me like this was coming from a deeply personal place and it seemed not a coincidence that it's that it's happening now that she's released this this statement on the heels of some poor form going into Roland Garros where she is struggling a bit on the clay she is fielding more questions about her performance than she was at other times in her career and that to me seems like just problems that top athletes go through. And I don't think not going to press is the solution there. Um, I'm sympathetic to the way she's feeling, but not going to me is not is not the right solution if if that's the problem. I think Asaka's word is powerful enough that she could have raised the important point about changes that need to happen. Without actually doing a boycott of the media, she she could have done a statement on Twitter or gone to a press conference and raised her concerns, and I think those I think those would have been listened to because of who she is.
1: Mm. I mean, my first reaction upon reading it was, "I hope she's okay," because this doesn't sound like somebody that's okay to me. Um, I, I do think it's a a misstep. Um, at, at the very least. But <laughs> we're so unfamiliar with Naomi Osaka having anything even resembling a misstep, aren't we? Even in her more fragile and vulnerable moments, even in her more controversial moments, the the press, the public have always gone with her. And that is partly because of how well, albeit in an unorthodox manner, how well she has communicated with the media in my view. Um, There have been photos coming out of the last 24 hours from from Getty um, of her following a a practice on the Philippe Chatrier court where she looked really upset, looked certainly like she was being comforted by coach Wim Fissett, but they are just still photos, difficult to know what to read into them. But certainly that statement to me reads as it's written by somebody who's really struggling and, For that, I'm hugely sympathetic. I really hope she's okay. Um, The statement that people have no regard for athletes' mental health, and she says that rings very true whenever I see a press conference or partake in one, that simply isn't true. Obviously, some some members of a press conference room will have more regard than others. But as a whole, as a sweeping generalisation, it is simply not true to say that the press do not have regard for an athlete's mental health. I'd say it's something that can always improve, but I would also say that characters like her, not even something, not even just characters like her, her as an individual has played a big part in developing the media's understanding of an athlete's mental health and vulnerability. She has played a big role in that. So... I absolutely agree that you know more can be done, but it is simply not true to sweepingly say that there's no regard for mental health. The statement about we're often sat there and asked questions that we've been asked multiple times before. Look, we've dealt with that point in regards to Alex Verev before. I, I don't have much sympathy with that. It it's a the suggestion, the implication is. How have you not kept a record and track of everything that I've said in every previous question, press conference? I mean, I'm sure it's utterly tedious, but, um, you know, that sympathy on that front is uh, is very minimal for me as far, as far as I'm concerned. She says, I've watched many ath- uh, clips of athletes breaking down after a loss in the press. room. I'm sure you have as well. I believe that the whole situation is kicking a person while they're down and I don't understand the reasoning behind it. Well, Again, develop a dialogue under, to try and under, understand the reasoning behind it to under, better understand the relationship between the press and the media how how both sides can be understood better. You know the the whole statement seems to read as is, is written by a person that sees that relationship as adversarial, and that that isn't how it should be. Yes, there's the odd exchange which I'm sure circulates on social media, which which is combative or uncomfortable. And and I'm sure that's tough. But that that is not representative of of what the, the press corps are about and what that relationship is like more generally. Um yeah, and, and in that final paragraph there's another implication that the 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 mental health of athletes is ignored. Um and Uh, Yeah, I resent that implication. It is, it is not, it is simply not ignored, you know, from personal experience, I can tell you that, you know, working for rights holders at Grand Slams and part of the, part of the deal, what you're paying for as rights holders is, um, the right to a post-match interview with players from your, your country. So the UK rights holder is entitled to a post-match interview with, with players from, from the UK, I have I have been told this player is is in a bad way. They're they're too upset to do press now. Perhaps tomorrow we'll check back in and see if they're okay. And uh, I I have never said no. Absolutely, I demand that you bring them now. I mean, and I can't imagine that anybody would. I've never known anyone to do that in that situation. You know, we're feeling human beings. Um. Uh, yeah, and then the final point. Sorry, I'm 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 point by point dissecting it, but the, I think the final point annoyed me the most. Saying, "I hope the considerable amount that I get fined goes towards a mental health charity." Um, the fines at Grand Slams go towards the Grand Slam Development Fund, um, which is a great, great thing. Doesn't get much attention, the Grand Slam Development Fund, but it is a fund to. Um, develop infrastructure and provide pathways for athletes in developing and undeveloped tennis nations, which is a really great thing. So sort of the implication, I mean, you know, mental health charities are a great, great thing as well. The the implication there is, you know, I hope the fines go towards a good cause and fines do go towards a good cause. Um, So look, I I don't think I've, I've said anything that disagrees with, Anything that you two have said, I think there is absolutely a dialogue to be had and to be opened up. There are aspects of the press conference dynamic that make me uncomfortable too. I'm always aware of what it must be like for a young female to come into a, a room full of older men. And certainly, Naomi Isaka's uh, case, older, almost entirely white men. You know, that's tough. There are things that could be changed about it. I'm sure there are things that the press would like to change about it as well. A two-sided dialogue about that dynamic and the protocol is absolutely welcome. But this sweeping trashing of of the tennis media and what they're about is, is upsetting really and... Because Naomi Osaka has always been like, I know she's she's not afraid of of big gestures and forcing change by acting boldly, but they've always been very considered bold movements, bold decisions, bold statements in the past. And this doesn't feel considered to me. It feels like it's coming from a a very frail place and um, I hope she's okay. Um, I said there, there have been, there have been a lot of interesting responses from fellow players. Rafael Nadal was asked about it yesterday in press. He said, I respect her, of course, as an athlete and her personality. I respect her decision. We as sports people, we need to be ready to accept the questions and try to produce an answer. No, <laughs> I understand her. But in the other hand, for me, Without the press, we will not be the athletes that we are today. We're not going to have the recognition that we have around the world and we will will not be that popular, no? So I understand her. On the other hand, I have my point of view that the media is a very important important part of our sport too. Iga who whose words people were very eagerly awaiting because Svjontek and Osaka are close and have a kind of introverts alliance, don't they? At the at the top of the game, you know, kind of similar in, in personality in that regard. Well, Igosh Vontek said, I personally feel that this is part of the job. And of course, talking to press after we lost, it's not the most enjoyable thing to do. It may be hard. But I feel like with proper kind of support and with distance and with balance, it's part of the job. I feel that media is really important as well, because you're giving us a platform to talk about our lives and our perspective. And it's also important because not everybody is a professional athlete and not everybody knows what we're dealing with on court. It's good to speak about that. We have two ways to do that, media and social media. It's good to use both of these platforms and to educate people because, as I said, not everybody knows what our perspective is. And we actually have a chance to say what our perspective is and sometimes explain. So I think it's good. And that's a really interesting statement because she's, it's all about power, isn't it? I I feel like Naomi Osaka is feeling disempowered by having to face the media at the moment where Iga Sviantek is saying, I feel empowered by it. It's an opportunity to to explain myself. And Ash Barty, she also expressed a similar opinion. She said, the press is kind of part of the job. We know what we sign up for as professional tennis players. I can't really comment on what Naomi is feeling or the decisions she makes. At times, press conferences are hard, but it's not something that bothers me. I've never had problems answering questions or being completely honest with you guys. It's not something that's ever fazed me too much and certainly doesn't for me personally keep me up up at night. So I try and make it a little bit lighter and have a bit of fun with you guys. For me, it's a little bit different, but I can't comment on her personally. And Daniil Medvedev... Said, I think I respect everybody's opinion. Doesn't mean that I have to agree with their opinion. Doesn't matter if it's Benoit Paire, Naomi Osaka or Nick Kyrgios. I want to say I understand why she does it. I respect her opinion. Talking about myself, of course I had tough moments in my career. Talking about you guys. So media after the matches and before the matches, I don't think I've experienced problems. Like I don't see any journalist trying to trying to go at me, you know? I try always to come to press conference, bad mood or good mood, and I feel like even sometimes in the bad mood, I can be in a better mood after talking to you guys. Tornet Director Guy Forget said it doesn't send a very positive message and FFT President Gilles Moreton said, I think it's a phenomenal mistake. What is happening there is not acceptable. We will stick to the laws and rules for penalties and fines. Um, one thing that is not clear to me is whether she means just post-match press conferences or whether she will speak to television media, whether she will do on-court interviews, which, of course, are broadcast on the World Feed. She is personally sponsored by two television companies, Wow, wow and NHK, um, two Japanese television companies, both of whom are rights holders at the French Open. So will she speak to them? And if so, is that fair? You know, this is this is what these rights rights holders pay for. They don't just pay for the rights to show forehands and backhands. It's part of the package, and yeah, it's obvious that Naomi Osaka is in a in a bad place and not in a place where she is necessarily thinking about her responsibility and the power that she has in promoting the sport. And I'm sure that is a burden, that power and that responsibility, but. I've been watching Formula One Drive to Survive recently, which I think is an absolute lesson for all sport in how to sell a sport by selling its personalities, by showing the good and the bad. And in in showing the bad, in showing the more heating moments, it shows you why it matters to them. And that makes you care. And I've watched the last three Grand Prix on the telly. And I've never, I don't think I've ever watched a Grand Prix in my life. Um, getting to know the athletes, what makes them tick. And, it, she, and she's done absolutely. that over the years. But that's only possible, I think, when you see them in the good and the bad moments. And obviously there's a sensitivity required in the bad moments in, in how they're handled. But I do think you have to see the good and the bad to get to know them.
3: Mm. I mean, this is a a woman she, who won the U.S. Open and the Australian Open, and was fantastic in her press conferences mm. after winning both of those tournaments. And yeah, I mean, I I, I know when uh, she lost at Wimbledon a, a couple of years ago, there were some tears after some very polite and decent questions from colleague of mine, Russell Fuller, and uh, and he he wrote about that that exchange. And I, I think, yeah, we we may be seeing a particular. A set of circumstances here, um, which again I, I'm sympathetic to, but, but in the statement as well, she says, "I, I will not be doubted, mm. or I'm not going to let people doubt me." Well, I'm I'm sorry, that's that's just the way it is, and you've got to find a way to come to terms with that because that's part of being a professional tennis player. Um, in terms of the the fines, this all happened on the day that it was revealed in the news that she has made or expects to make $55 million this year in off-court earnings alone, and which I think is a record. And good for her. She's a fantastic um, person to have up in front of the the kids in so many ways, and, and she's got wonderful sponsorship deals, all these sort of things. And there is a, a view, I think, generally speaking these days, whereas Billie Jean King would have had to go out and and court the press and try to get attention that way through the media. Naomi Osaka puts one tweet out. She could write hello and she'd get 200,000 likes or whatever on those Instagram and uh, Twitter feeds of hers. But that isn't real life. That is not sport. That is a manufactured version of what's going on. And the reason the media is there is to try to help the viewer understand what is really going on. Because you're never going to be completely honest on a on a on an Instagram or a Twitter feed. That's just that's just the way it is. And um, yeah. I mean, look, we're we're perhaps a bias just because we are within the media, but it must be kept, and it must be. Able to, to to prevail in the end, and and I I am hoping that she will she will consider and reflect on this and and change her mind in due course. And I'm I'm, I'm pleased that those other players spoke up um, and understood the importance of the system.
1: Do you think there's any chance she'll change her mind at at this tournament?
3: I don't know. I, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I think there is a chance. I think there is a chance. I, I like Naomi Osaka a lot. I really mm. do. Uh, I've got a lot of time for her. I think she's a very deep thinker, um, and I think this is just a a misjudgment. I really do. I don't think it makes her a bad person in any way. Uh, I think she's I, I, like you say. I, I I hope she's okay as well. But I think it's a, it's a, it's a a bad misjudgment, and um, and she needs to understand that that you can't just throw everything up in the air because because it doesn't really suit you at, at that time and and you and you're feeling bad it's um yes you can do it temporarily but you've got to come back uh, and and calm down um so anyway let's i i hope that that's the that's the case because uh, if it, it frustrates me as as a member of the media and on behalf of so many of my colleagues when the the result of this is that you suddenly get so many people out there who don't know anything about it, just hammering mm. the media again. It just frustrates me.
1: Yeah. And, of course, with social media, those pylons, you know, I said about, of course, you always see circulating the the very incendiary, you know, clips of an awkward exchange or an inexperienced journalist asking questions in an inappropriate way or a player being brought to press and there being nobody there in a press conference, as we saw circulating with, with uh, Hubert Hurkacz in Monte Carlo. And actually, that was a really misleading situation. And, and a lot of the, uh, the members of the press that had been working very hard on that tournament and attended lots of press conferences really, you know, explained the situation on Twitter. But Twitter isn't a place for nuance, is it? A lot more people would have seen this- the clip than would have read the explanations behind it. And that's, yeah. that's the problem.
3: There's also a fairness issue, I think, for the other players now. I mean, everybody else is doing pre-tournament press. Now she can say, well, yeah, I'm paying the fines, so I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But is that all fair, really, that she's allowed to play the tournament and not have to not just be able to remove that mm. stress? That I mean, you know, there is a strong argument that professional sports, part of it is physical effort and talent, and the other part of it is what you can get through when things are really
1: stressful. Mm. I know there's a lot of members of the Japanese print media that have travelled to Roland Garros um, in these times in particular. You know That's a heck of an investment and a commitment to make to the sport. And it's important to the sport that the editors are prepared to make that commitment. And increasingly less are they prepared to make that commitment and if you're an editor looking at the bottom line, and you're saying why am I why am I sending my journalists if they're not even getting to ask Naomi Osaka any questions, it's it's worrying for the sport on a on a principle level, and also just in a very real level, she matters. What she says matters. It grabs headlines probably more than than anybody else just at the moment. So. I really feel for I hope she's okay. doesn't change my view of her more generally. I just think this is a a misstep.
2: Big tournament needed from Kei <laughs> for those travelling <laughs> Japanese writers.
3: Um, <laughs> I, d- I did have to laugh at the Ash Barty line. Uh, you'll just have to ask her the next time you chat to her.
1: <laughs> When's that happening then? <laughs> David did that joke to me on WhatsApp yesterday and I just didn't get it. I was like, what? That's the whole point, David. She's not doing press. David's like, oh, Catherine, go and get some sleep. Um, Right. Well, that was a nice, knotty issue to get into on the eve of the tournament. I'm sure there'll be no further controversies. What could possibly go wrong in a Grand Slam tennis tournament? (laughs) I mean, predictions, for starters. Uh, I'll be doing mine later on this evening. I'm sure Daryl's already done his. Eager to... Humiliate us for another Grand Slam. Um, We will have uh, Phoebe as our mascot throughout the tournament. Thank you, Phoebe Uh, and Priyanka, Phoebe's mum. We'll also have our personal mascots. Got good feelings, Zeus, about how this is going to go, certainly relative to how our last Grand Slam went. Uh, Anything's an improvement. David's got Rogue to answer to and Matt's got Scousel Mousel. Billy Jean's got Billy Jean King. Uh, Chris Albert Lee will continue to be our executive producer. And we've got shout outs today and I think every day of Royal Garros. Who have we got, Matt?
3: We've got DeVita Scarlett.
1: Oh hello. Oh
3: goodness me, that is the character out of a mm. novel. Yeah. Wonderful. DeVita. Thanks so much for your support. Yeah,
1: really that's a that's a film star name. Big fan. We've got Ian
2: Farrand. Right now, Ian. I'm not saying
1: that's not a film star name. <laughs> um, it it's, was just it was it role. was a tough act to follow, Ian, from DeVita, I would say. Hello yeah. Ian, thanks for your support.
2: And we've got Arno, back at seven hundred and thirty
1: six. Oh, hello Arno. Could be Arno Clement, Arno Di Pasquale.
3: <laughs> yeah Arnold books. maybe both yeah they're all in there there's a
1: lot of tennis Arno's aren't there
3: by the way I reckon Ian was in line of duty is my thinking
1: okay it's not based on anything just <laughs> in case you're wondering um, hello Arno I hope you've got back a number what's the number you've got tattooed about your person 737 737 would, would look good I mean would look good anywhere frankly let's let's not continue down the road that I started down there let's Let's get this show off the road. we're going to be doing daily tennis podcasts from today throughout all fifteen days of the French Open. We've done two tennis relived Roland Garros episodes this tournament we've done Suzanne Longlin. And we've done Jim Courier and his 1991 final against Andre Agassi. They were both a treat to do. So go back into the archive and listen to them. If you'd like to, do subscribe to the newsletter. We do them daily during the Grand Slams. A daily opportunity to be humiliated via predictions. Brilliant. Whose idea was that? And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your mates. Have I done the laundry list, David? Yeah, I'll do. Well done. Great. We will speak to you tomorrow on day one of 2021. Roland Garros.